Welcome everyone back to Detroit Rising. This is Chad Livingood with Crane's Detroit Business. This is a weekly podcast about uh, Detroit's revitalization and how it affects also uh, Michigan's revitalization. And we've been studying a lot of different issues related to the local economy, but there are big um, picture econ- economic issues that that um, Detroit plays a major role in. And here to talk about that this week is uh, Joe Comartin. He is the uh, Consulate General for Canada. Uh, based in Detroit, uh, and we are uh, recording from his office uh, in the Renaissance Center on the riverfront. Uh, Joe, thanks for taking time to talk with me. Well, thanks for doing this. Um, let's start with uh, Line 5, uh, Enbridge's uh, oil pipeline that runs from Superior, Wisconsin to Sarnia, Ontario, uh, through both of the uh, lower and upper peninsula of Michigan. Uh, is obviously getting a lot of news right now because of, of the um, you know the issues uh, re- you know, related to Enbridge trying to build a tunnel in the Straits of Mackinac and having a dispute with uh, Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer and with the Attorney General Dana Nessel um, and Dana Nessel, who has um, threatened to potentially shut down Line Five. Uh, what would what would be the impact of of that uh, for for Canada uh, um, broadly and, and Ontario specifically? Um. Well, actually, the impact on on uh, the refineries are uh, uh, very severe in terms of the uh, the refinery in Sarnia because the bulk of its refining is done off of Line Five. Um, but although it will have a similar impact on the refineries here in Michigan and in Ohio uh, that also receive uh, the crude from uh, from this line. Uh, bits of a line that run off to some of the other refineries. But the impact on the that one refinery in um, in Sarnia would be uh, that it would basically have to shut down. Isn't there uh, about three um, total refineries, am I correct, uh, in, that, in that vicinity? There are three in that vicinity, uh, but there's one that takes the bulk of the uh, the uh, fuel from, uh, from this. Is line. that the Imperial or... Testing your knowledge here. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not sure which one it is. It is the one in Sarnia, it though. The it's the one, one you can see on the riverfront uh, if you're standing in Port Huron. It's right down on the riverfront, right across from Port Huron. Right. That's right. And so, uh, because of that, so where would where would they get their uh, light crude oil? Then? Well, uh, right now, if I'm talking to Enbridge, they uh, they would have to uh, they would have to bring it in by by ship, um, uh, by um, by rail. Most of it would come in from rail. Some might come in by trucks, but it mostly would be from rail. And, and are there is there rail capacity? Are there rail cars for this? Uh? Not right now, because of other problems we're having in terms of uh, shipping fuel in um, in Canada into the United States right now. Uh, out of Alberta, uh, almost all of the rail uh, cars that would be available for that are being being occupied at the present time. So there would be there would be um, a shortage uh, for for that Sarnia refinery and. Other and that, ones downstream. Yeah, and that very much is the uh, the concern is what the consequences are not just to that refinery, but then what what happens to supply uh, here in in um, in Michigan, uh, both in the upper and lower peninsula, and parts of Ohio as well as Ontario. So a lot of that, um, and I just wrote about this for cranes. A lot of that uh, natural gas liquids that also come through that pipeline uh, also go to Sarnia to a Plains uh, Canada uh, midstream. Uh, facility where it's uh, fractionated is the term, uh, and it comes back across uh, the St. Clair River. Um, I mean, Canada exports a lot of refined propane back to the U.S., doesn't it? 
Well, 55% of the propane in the Lower Peninsula comes from that refinery, uh, 55% on an annual basis. In the Upper Peninsula, I don't have final figures on that, but it would be somewhat similar to that. But it all comes from uh, from that line. After it's refined in uh, in Sarnia, it's sent back by in, through the same pipeline, uh, same corridor, uh, back into uh, into Michigan. So what kind of talks have you had with uh, Michigan or even federal officials or, or members of Congress about the, the, the position of Canada about the need for this uh, pipeline to continue? Um, Chad, I think you have to appreciate the, um, um, uh, the number of issues in Canada right now around pipelines. Uh, we just had a major announcement yesterday about another pipeline out in the the western part of the uh, the continent, but we have a number of these, and, and this goes back to um, the agreements we have with Canada, with the United Canada has with the United States, in terms of the flow of fuel, uh, the priority we give to the United States to access to that natural resource coming out of Canada. Um, so the the end result of all that is that there is a lot of discussion going on, not just about this pipeline, uh, but a number of others that are coming into the United States. Um, we supply something like 43% of all the fuel that's brought in energy that's uh, in the form of fuel that's brought into the United States. 43% of that comes from Canada. Um, and this is just one small part of it. This particular pipeline is just one small part of it coming in through the United States, uh, out of Canada, into the United States, to the refinery, and then back into the United States in, in large percentages. So, um, at the at the national level, our government has communicated, I think, fairly clearly to to the governor. Um, I'm not sure that anything to the attorney general, but to the governor, um, our understanding that we have a long-term relationship between our two countries. This is just one aspect of it uh, around energy uh, that we recognize the importance of of uh, securing uh, a safe environment. Uh, quite frankly, I think our position would be if we were asked back in 1953, 54, uh, from this perspective today, that that thing should never have been allowed in the first place. It should have been always underground. Um, you know, to lay it on the, the bed of a waterway as busy as that one is at Mackinac, um, you know, from an environmental standpoint, today would be totally unacceptable. Sure. But the reality today is that it's there. Um, it's a major source for fuel in, in, uh, and energy in Michigan, uh, as it is to Ontario and to, and to Ohio, for that matter, um, to take the position that they have of uh, being able to shut that down, uh, I think, tends to ignore, and we've tried to communicate this to the governor and the attorney general, that, um, that the consequences of that, both to Canada and to and to the United States and Michigan in particular, um, is is not in keeping with the relationship that we've historically had. Has this factored into any of the negotiations or talks, uh, the trade negotiations related to the USMCA? No, it did not. As far as I'm aware, it did not surface there at all. At the time, um, you know, when those negotiations were going on, so much of it, of course, was focused on manufacturing the automobile industry in particular. Um, to my knowledge, this did not did not uh, surface at that time. Now, of course, at that time, uh, you had the prior administration uh, for all that period of time, and uh, Governor Snyder, in particular, was was quite supportive of the of the uh, continuation of the pipeline, but through a tunnel. Do you know whether this issue of Line 5 has been taken to a higher level? I mean, has it been, been broached with the White House yet? or? 
I'm not aware of it being broached with the White House. Our, uh, one of our federal ministers, along with our ambassador, have, have had direct communication with the governor uh, on it. Uh, but whether there's been any communication with the White House, I'm not aware of that. Okay. Uh, I mean, one thing that's always kind of struck me, this, you know, the the opponents of this pipeline have portrayed it as a Canadian company with a, a pipeline that starts in Alberta and ends in Ontario. And, um, you know, and it's it's Canadian oil for Canada flowing through Michigan. Uh, we, we tried to kind of uh, dissect that a little bit in Cranes this week and talk looking at sort of where the oil does flow from. Something that struck me was that there's actually oil coming out of North Dakota that ends up in line. Five um, and 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 then part of that whole lakehead system, the Enbridge runs. Um, I, I mean, has has the company done a good enough job to sort of communicate its own story to, to the public and to politicians in particular? Well, if they if if I can be critical of Enbridge, uh, it would be only that it, if they whatever they tried to sell in terms of the messaging, it has not been as successful as it needed to be. Uh, I think they've tried, and in particular more recently, I would say in the last, well, since the anchor incident in yeah. particular. Um, I think the problem Enbridge obviously has is a, one of credibility because of what happened at Kalamazoo uh, in terms of that spill and how that was handled. Um, and I, I think that's part of the problem in terms of getting this messaging out. Um, I have to say uh, uh, it, it obviously has penetrated in, in some circles. Uh, the governor of uh, Ohio just recently in the last week sent a letter to uh, to the governor of Michigan uh, setting out, you know, the impact this is going to have on his state. Um, because the Toledo refineries uh, get oil because from Because the it. Toledo refinery, but also to their market generally because a good deal of the end product ends up in, you know, in their gas stations and in, in you know, the propane in particular ends up uh, – uh, heating uh, homes and that a uh, major impact on their airports because a gr- great deal of this fuel ends up uh, being used by our, our airports both in Michigan and in Ohio so um, coming back to whether Enbridge has done a good enough job obviously not in the sense of its impact I think they have tried extremely hard uh, certainly since I've been here uh, any, on any number of ways of uh, of communicating what the consequences are going to be and their attempt to uh, speed up uh, the construction of the tunnel, I think, is an indication of their their good faith in that regard. Um, but no, it's it's quite obvious that uh, we have a great deal of the population in Michigan who uh, do not understand what the consequences are going to be here uh, if that gets shut down arbitrarily. Um, Joe, we've been uh, uh, talking a little bit about Line Five. I want to talk about N- uh, NAFTA and uh, and the trade agreements. Where do things uh, kind of stand right now in the in the um, effort to try to get uh, the USMCA ratified? And this is all kind of in in Congress's uh, accord at this point. Uh, it very much, and it's it's obviously being held back um, in uh, in the House in the House of Representatives in Washington. Um, I think the Senate is uh, majority in the Senate are, are Republicans, and and they are they would be prepared to move on it, but it has to come out of the House. And the uh, the Democrats there clearly have uh, concerns about the uh, about the agreement, uh, want changes made to it, and uh, are not prepared to bring it to a vote uh, until they get. Uh, some satisfaction on those points. What, what, where does it stand with the Canadian Parliament? Um, it, we actually have to have a bill that uh, approves the uh, the uh, agreement. Um, that ha- that bill is before the House. 
Uh, our parliament, though, is going to adjourn uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow or Friday. Summer recess. A summer recess. Yeah. Uh, but the summer recess is then going to lead immediately into our next federal election. So as of right now, it will not get, it will not get done this week. That's quite clear just sure. from the reports I got last night. Um, the uh, um, possibility of the House being called back uh, for a special sitting in the summer is, is being considered. Uh, that is likely what will happen if um, we see some significant progress or actual passage ratification in the on the U.S. side. Um, at this point, um, that happening before um, the House adjourns in uh, at the end of uh, sometime in August, towards the end of August, um, does not look all that positive. Our Prime Minister is meeting with President Trump um, tomorrow. Uh, in Washington, um, the major item on their agenda is is the uh, USMCA. Um, they're hoping that they um, may be able to get a better understanding as to how they could speed it up on the U.S. side. Um, I, I want to uh, address the point that uh, uh, Mr. Lighthizer, who's the lead on this for the administration for the White House, um, has been very clear in the last few days, if not the last couple of weeks, about his willingness to carry on negotiations with the with the Democrats in the in the House of Representatives in particular, to see if there's ways that they can satisfy the uh, the concerns they've got of it. Um, so those are promising. Both that meeting and I think what Lighthizer has Lighthizer has been doing is promising. Whether they can put it together and get it through the House before the end of the summer is, I think, still highly doubtful. Most of those issues the House Democrats have deal with the wages of Mexican uh, workers. It's the the enforcement of the um, of the requirements. There's been some real strengthening of the former NAFTA uh, with regards to the amount that people have to be compensated in Mexico. They are clearly the target. Canada and the United States already meet all of these standards that are there. It's both around co wage compensation, it's around health and safety standards, environmental standards. And the, the concern the Democrats have um, is whether that uh, the provisions that are in, uh, in the USMCA are sufficiently strong to in fact guarantee that we're going to get the results that are expected. Joe, going forward, if, if this gets ratified, uh, what will the USMCA do for uh, trade and traffic at the Detroit Port Huron borders that we kind of, you know, watch and as it relates to uh, the construction of the Gordie Howe International Bridge and, and the volume that you'll need to keep that bridge operating well? Well, I mean, there's, there's I think, a fair amount of, of uh, good research and, and study that shows the effect of the disagreement, the, the changes that have been made to it, will enhance the level of manufacturing uh, in this area, uh, both on the Canadian side of the border and uh, on the U.S. side of the border. Um, the end result of that, if, if in fact there are more jobs, there are more plants operating here, plants that are operating here already uh, increase their production levels. Um, the shipping of uh, parts back and forth, you know, we joke every vehicle that is built in this area is assembled in the Windsor-Detroit area, um, and that includes some of the other states, but the, this area primarily. You know, that parts of that vehicle cross over the border seven times before it's finally assembled. Um, 
that will continue on. And so if we have an increase in manufacturing generally of automobiles in this area, um, the demand for uh, greater capacity at our crossings are, is, is clearly going to be going up rather than uh, either remaining stable or, or actually dropping. One of the companies that's got a lot of uh, cross-border activity is Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. Uh, they assemble uh, the Dodge Caravan and the Chrysler uh, Pacifica over in Windsor, and they they're selling they're assembling you know almost gangbusters amounts of of uh, Grand Cherokees and Durangos uh, at Jefferson North. But then with this new plant at Mack Avenue, right across the road, they're going to be building more Grand Cherokees and some kind of new three three row uh, Jeep. Plus they got the Warren plant they're putting over a billion dollars into to uh, produce uh, the Jeep Wagoneer, which I'm going to buy one of them and uh, when that comes back. And and so it, there, there seems to be a lot of activity on but that com- particular company is 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 going to be moving parts and, 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 and people back and forth um, with a little more speed in the near future. Well, there's no question of that at all. We've, uh, uh, just in terms of trying to assist in the uh, in speeding up the processing of, of, uh, of trucks moving back and forth, on the Canadian side, we've just introduced a pilot program. And um, what you, the, the shipping company and their drivers have to be uh, pre-screened. Um, and there's a whole electronic, I mean, it's high-tech. Um, but the effect of it is that uh, if you are part of the project, the pilot project, you'll go from um, normally 8 to 10 minutes in terms of a truck actually getting through customs on the Canadian side mm-hmm. to down to two minutes. That's the average that's worked out. We just started this, I think we're into our third month now. This is in effect at Ambassador Bridge right now? It's at the Ambassador Bridge where this is happening. Um, we're hoping we can encourage the um, the U.S. side to uh, adopt the same technology. They've been looking at it, uh, are interested in it, think they could make it work on, on this side as well. So it would have the impact, because right now it's just trucks going into Canada that have this adva- this time advantage. Um, but we're looking forward to the U.S. Uh, side doing it eventually as well. And this is different than the um, Nexus? Uh, this is separate from Nexus. You know. Okay, yeah. Uh, although a similar type of approach in the sense of, you know, there's recognition by, by picture, uh, but some really high-tech stuff. But basically, um, the truck pulls up, uh, flashes a card. Uh, they, have to, they have to punch in a, a code of some kind and, um, and then basically get through. Um, we have a, a triple screening process there in case it doesn't work the first time. It's, it's really very uh, amazing. I just, I just went over and toured it a couple of weeks ago. I uh, was quite, uh, quite impressed with it, and it's working extremely efficiently. Uh, speaking of the Ambassador Bridge, um, where do the things stand with them getting the permits they need uh, to, uh, to build a replacement span of the Ambassador Bridge? Well, the position that the federal government in Canada has taken is that they will, um, that they have in effect granted their the, the permit, uh, but it has a lengthy list of conditions on it. Uh, the most severe one and the one that uh, is receiving the greatest amount of pushback from the uh, from the Ambassador Bridge um, and the, the, their administration is that uh, we require um, that the existing Ambassador Bridge. Uh, be taken down uh, within, I think it's 18 months. Right, that sounds right. Uh, of yeah. the of the new new uh, crossing, um, so they can go ahead with the new crossing, but within 18 months they have to have taken down the existing new one. 
uh, Chad, that may sound somewhat onerous in terms of it being a condition, but the reality is that bridge does not have a great deal of life left in it. Um, we can only imagine the kind of uh, chaos we would hit if that if that bridge collapsed in some significant way. Um, and that uh, I'm not being paranoid or uh, exaggerating here. The estimates we've got is that bridge is uh, no longer will be safe for crossing in about 20 years. Um, and uh, as it deteriorates, inevitably it will begin to collapse into the Detroit River. Um, so it, it has to be done professionally. Um, and so us making that, Canada making that a requirement before the new bridge could be built, uh, could go ahead, um, I think is a reasonable one under those, uh, under those facts. You got to have some kind of a, an end game, basically. Well, you have to. I mean, the last thing we need is for the uh, governments on both sides of the border uh, to have to pay for the uh, the the cleanup and all of the problems it would cost to shipping if if we ever did have a collapse of that bridge. Uh, that that should be the responsibility of the owner of that bridge, and that's what Canada's position. Would Canada ever buy that bridge if uh, if it was for sale? It was actually offered. Uh, the Maroon family actually offered it to Canada, um, let's see, somewhere around 2010, thereabouts. I was in Parliament at the time, and I remember the proposal coming forward. They were seeking, I think, $3.5 billion on it for it at that time. The $3.5 billion Canadian? Uh, good question. <laughs> I think it was $3.5 Canadian. Um and the assessment, val- the assessed value at that time was somewhere around one and a half billion, uh, you know, f- with the assumption that there'd be a continued operation of it. Sure. Uh, but because of all the maintenance and uh, uh, restoration work that would have been required, uh, it was a fairly low value. Um, uh, Canada was not interested because they knew it, it, it had a very short lifespan, even with some significant um, renovation type work on it uh, it still has a relatively short life expectancy yeah so you you've you moved forward with gordy howe bridge when are we going to see some pillars in the sky uh, people want to see some construction <laughs> well the uh, as the schedule is right now it it will actually be finished uh, sometime in the middle part of 2024 but because of the um, uh, training that has to go on for the staff and all the adjustments that will be made, it's it's scheduled to open at the end of 2024. Yeah. I think you'll start seeing pillars um, sometime around 2021, 2020, early 22. Okay. At the, at the rate that they're going at this point. Yeah, but we'll see some construction activity this summer down there? Uh, well, uh, in terms of preparatory work, there's a fair amount already going on on both sides of the border. They're clearing uh, a lot of Del Rey. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I was actually surprised the first time I went down there was shortly after I was appointed here in, in December and uh, took a tour. And I was surprised at how much work had already gone on in terms of the preparatory because uh, that's all been done on the, on the Canadian side, but it was being done in the Del Rey. Um, yeah, so they've done a fair amount. They've moved transmission lines like there's been a fair amount of work uh, that's already been done in terms of preparation but in terms of actually seeing construction uh i don't think you'll see the initial part of it until until uh 20 sometime late 2020 okay well we'll be watching closely uh joe Martin, uh the consul general for detroit uh for canada in detroit uh thank you for joining us here on the detroit rising podcast thank you for having me I'm Chad Livingood, Senior Editor at Korean Detroit Business. You've been listening to Detroit Rising.